while you remain standing, open your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the middle of your Bible should be the book of Psalm. If you have a King James Bible, that's exactly where it should be. Then find chapter 119. Psalm chapter, I need a fella. Stand back there with um, Delarosa right here. Raise your hand. Brother Delarosa, hey, don't give him a Bible. Share your Bible. There you go. Can switch places. Thank you very much, because you don't speak Spanish, do you? You do. Right, Heidi? Huh? Oh, you speak English? You speak English? This is your sister. She used to come here too, didn't she? What's your first name? Yes, ma'am. He told me that's one. I thought, I don't think I know her, but you look familiar. Are you older than he is? <laughs> I just messed that up, didn't I? I'm glad to have you here this morning. Thank you so much. What? Wow. So should we stop and have prayer? <laughs> glad to have you folks with us this morning. Psalm 119, once you've located that, then locate verse number 67. This is not a Christmas message, but I think it'll help you a great deal if you'll listen carefully. Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. In that same chapter, drop down to verse number 71. Verse 71, same chapter. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Drop down to verse number 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Father, thank you for the Bible. Help us, please, Lord, to not judge your word by what we already believe, but adjust our beliefs according to your word. Help us, please, let me be of help to these people to bring about in them some understanding, a knowledge of the word of God. Help me, please. For Christ's sake, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like you to ask me to do me a favor. That's weak. Sit down. Do me a favor. Check your phone and make sure that it's off. Please check your phone. I need you to turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Turn around. That a girl. Good for you. I need you to check your phones because right in the middle of the service or during the invitation, it'll go off. It's just the way that it works. So if you'll at least check it. Oh, no, I'm sure mine is off. Okay, then it won't hurt to check it. So if you'll do that, I will guarantee you before the service over, somebody's phone's going to ring. I'm sorry, buzz. And you'll look around like, who is the idiot that left their, oh, it's mine. And it's just what we do. And so please, if you'll just check. We keep these things with us so much, we don't even think about them anymore. And so I, on purpose, I'm trying to help you think about it so you can make those adjustments. Much of Christianity is being taught is under the impression that God not only wants all of his children to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but there is no way in the world that God himself would chastise us, discipline us, and afflict us. No way. God is love. God would never do that. 
these are the things that we have been taught. Now you say, preacher, why, why do we think that way if it's not true? I have several reasons for doing that. Number one is the influence of the charismatic movement that we have in the United States and the world, by the way. And that's what they teach. They teach all the time. If you were praying right and you trusted God by faith, God would heal you of everything. God would benefit you. You would have all the money and material things you need. And many people, especially poor people, buy into that. And so we come to church, and what I'm getting ready to tell you, you're going to go, huh? And so I want you to listen. So that's, that's number one. Number two, we believe that God, as our Father, acts toward us like we do our children. Our children should never have a cut, a bruise. We have no need of Band-Aids because they're never going to get hurt. And all we need is little Neosporin and a lot of love, and our kids will be just fine. And so we have been taught these things, and then when something does happen, and by the way, for a parent to inflict pain upon their own children, what kind of a parent would do such a thing? Who in the world would possibly, dare I use the word, spank their own children? Oh, my preacher, say it's not true. Well, I'll say it's not true, but it's true. In today's society, many, many moms and dads, normally it's the mom more than the dad, does not believe in any kind of corporal punishment on their own children. They just do not believe that. And because we actually believe what the charismatic movement has taught us and God is kind of like we are, my friend, you listen to me, God is not kind of like we are. We're supposed to be kind of like he is. And so how do we know how he is? By the Bible. So let's not make up our own mind on what we think God would and wouldn't do according to the way we act towards our children. I think you're going to miss the boat by doing that. Number three is just an ignorance of God's word. Ignorant does not mean you're stupid. Ignorant means you just didn't know. As many Bibles as there are, I must have 14 Bibles in my office. There are Bibles everywhere. You can buy a Bible for a dollar anymore. You can get a lot of them for five bucks. You can buy them all the way up to hundreds and hundreds of dollars if you want to, but they're everywhere. Some of you leave from here and leave your Bible here. we got a whole bunch of them right back there in that room right there. But the fact of the matter is you're not supposed to just carry a Bible. You're supposed to learn your Bible. And in learning your Bible, you become less ignorant of what God wants us to do. So part of the reason we do not believe that God would inflict any pain upon us, not, not cause us any problem, would never think about chastising his children is because we're ignorant of God's word. Number four, thinking affliction is a negative thing. See, now you're thinking, isn't it, preacher? We think that affliction is a negative thing and brings about no real benefits. There's just no way punishment can bring about any real benefits. Preacher, come on. Isn't that a what they call an oxymoron, punishment for good? I mean, isn't that, that's not right, is it? Isn't that an opposite thing here? Look, if you would, in Psalm chapter 119, verse number 67 again. Now, you need to look at this, and you need to pay attention to what is being said. Watch what he says. Before I was, say the word, afflicted, I went astray. Watch. But now, after the affliction, I have kept thy word. The verses surrounding this tells us who is doing the afflicting. The Lord. The Lord is. Are you kidding me? The Lord is doing this? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So affliction caused me to now I have kept thy word. Is, is that what it's saying? Okay. Psalm 119, verse number 71. 
it is, I don't know a child in the world that would ever say this. It is, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. <coughs> All my life growing up when my dad and mom were at home, not one time did I ever say, Dad, I, I know you're done spanking me. Could, could you just give one more? I, I, mean, I love this stuff. Nobody does that, right? But watch what David said. David said, it is good for me. He didn't say, I liked it. He said, it was good for me that I had been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. I learned more about God after he's finally gotten out of me what's not supposed to be there than I did before. Understand what the Bible is saying right now. Once again, David is talking about who? God the Father. He's talking about his Father. He's talking about his Heavenly Father and what he is doing and allowing in David's life. Look at verse number 75. Verse 75. Psalm 119, 75. Now this is obvious because it says right in the verse. I know, O Lord. You got it? that thy judgments are right. He said, look, I know what you teach is right. I know that, okay? And that thou in faithfulness, in faithfulness has afflicted me. And so these verses alone help us to understand that, yes, God does chastise. God does afflict. Guess who? His children, not the world, us. Why? Because we're his children. Example, the apostle Paul. You know the apostle Paul? Me reading about him. It was God that allowed Satan to afflict him with a thorn in the flesh. And it even tells him why he did that. The apostle Paul, I believe, died. He was stoned to death, and I believe he died, and he went to the third heaven. In case you think there's only two, it's not. There's the atmosphere, the stratosphere, and the third heaven is where God lives. And so Paul said, I died, whether in the body or in the spirit. I don't, I don't, I can't tell you. I only know that I went to the third heaven. So God allowed Satan to afflict him with a thorn in the, some kind of pain, some kind of a, some kind of an affliction so that he would not get the big head and say, do you know where I've been? So all these things you're reading online, God let me go to hell for three days and come back and warn him, is a lie. I went to heaven and God walked me around and showed me and then sent me back here. That's a lie. It is a lie. You say, how can you say that? Because the Bible teaches that. His appointment unto man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. So anything that is not provable by Bible is a lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. Anybody that teaches, preaches, or tries to demonstrate other than what God says has got to be a liar. Okay. So then we have Job. Remember Job? Bible said he eschewed evil. He hated evil. I'm staying away from evil. I'm not getting close to it. He gave sacrifices for his kids. He prayed all the time. He gave. I mean, this was a wonderful, wonderful, righteous man. And God said to Satan one day, have you considered my servant Job? So God opened up Job's life so that the devil could, ready for the word, afflict him. God did that? God allowed that? Yes. God did. Read the book of Job. You'll find that out. And so we can establish that God actually does afflict his children. He either causes it or allows it. God does that to his own children. If you're saved, I'm talking to you this morning. You have to understand this. Affliction means a state of pain. That's exactly what it is. It's a state of pain. It means distress or grief. Not just, oh, I can't watch my show, my TV, not that kind of grief talking about something very, very severe. So yes, the Lord does this. 
a state of pain. The cause of the, of, of the, of the uh, continued pain on the body, the mind, a sickness, a loss, a calamity, an adversity, a persecution. Any of those would be considered affliction. Affliction. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 12. I said, preacher, that's real good, but that's all Old Testament. Uh, you've been listening to the wrong people. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews, way up by Revelation, but way on up there, okay? Hebrews chapter number 12. I want you to see this now. Quit going to church and just listening to someone teach or preach at you. Get your Bible out and look at it. And say, wait a minute, that's not what my Bible says. And if you don't have a King James Bible, you could miss some tremendous truths by changing one or two words. Oh, they forgot to tell you that, didn't they? Okay. Hebrews chapter 12. Drop down to verse number 5, please. Now we're in the New Testament, if you would, and let's just see what God says about chastisement. Watch what he says. Verse number 5, chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. So he's exhorting and saying, did you forget this? What I said about children, watch what he says. My son, despise not thou the, what's the word? Chastening of who? The Lord. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord, what's it say? Loveth. He chasteneth, watch this, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Every one. Every one. He doesn't, we'll get to that in just a minute. If you endure chastening, verse 7, <coughs> God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You don't belong to God. If God does not straighten you out when you are sinning, when you're rebelling, God said, I don't, I'm not doing that to you because you don't belong to me. I don't go next door and, and spank the, the neighbor's kids. They're not my kids. God does not chastise the world's kids. They're getting chastised enough by the world and the devil. But he does his own children. Why? Because he said, whom the Lord loveth. And he loves us. So watch this. Verse number nine. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. Now he's talking about earthly fathers. Your, your dad, maybe. My dad. Okay? I know this is true. Which corrected us and, and we gave them reverence. We obeyed them. We listened to them. Why? Because they spanked us. They grounded us. They disciplined us. Right? Watch what happens. And we gave them reverence. Shall not. I'm sorry, shall we not much rather in, be in subjection to the Father of Spirits, capital F, God, and live? Verse 10, for they, talking about our earthly father, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And that's just true. There's a lot of dads because they just got fed up with you. They're having a bad day. They just don't want to hear it. They would chastise us. Had nothing to do with really right and wrong. They just didn't like it. Their own pleasure. Now watch very carefully. But he, talking about God, for our profit. The reason that God chastens us, the reason that God rebukes us, the reason that God straightens us out, the reason that God chastises us is to profit us, to benefit us. That, watch, we might be partakers of his holiness. Wait a minute, he's doing this so we get back in step with God and have the holiness that he wants in our life. So he's doing this for a real good reason, for our benefit. That's what the Bible says, verse number 11. Uh, what happened? Okay, never mind. Who is it that's bringing onto his children the chastening? 
Chastening is to educate or discipline by punishment. But it's not punishment just to punish. Any correction, whether it's a rebuke, whether it's a chastisement, whether it's a scourging, whether it's a, some kind of a, it is discipline to correct. That's why it's called correction. All right? If whatever you're doing for your disobedient children is not working, you're not correcting them. He said, I beat the tar out of them and they're not changing. Okay, then that's not working. You're not correcting anything? Sit down. No. Sit down. No. Sit down. No. I guess the talking's not working. Your hope is when they turn like 35, they'll start listening. Train up a child on the way she go, not an old person, okay? And so watch what he has here. Look down in verse number five. He said, rebuke. Rebuke means this, convict, convince, tell of a fault or reprimand, ready, to the face. So parents, my wife gets in the face of our grandchildren, used to get in the face of our kids, and she would take them because kids have a real way of not listening to the mother. Yet the Bible said, obey your father and mother, not one or the other. And so she'd get in their face and she'd grab them by the chin. And she'd say, look at me, look at, look at granny, look at my face, look at me. And then she'd talk to her. Because you see, most correction or a lot of correction is done by voice and eyes. The reason they don't believe that because you go, okay, mommy's getting upset. Doesn't sound like you're upset, right? And then when the husband lays into him, you go, honey, honey, what are you doing? Well, let me see. He came home and you told him, look what your children have done, right? Like they're not yours anymore. They're all your children. And so you said, you wait till your dad comes. So you're shifting all the blame, all the correction, all the change on him. So he comes home after working with grownups all day. He ain't got time for kids. They did what? Get in there. Somebody give me a whip. Somebody give me some, 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 something to hit these kids with, right? And so the wife then panics. Honey, no, no, I don't think they meant it. Then why did you tell him they did it? That's what you do. Okay, I, I know kids that take forks and throw them at TV sets and stuff. It's weird. Then look what he says. You won't believe this. You won't believe this part. Verse 6, scourging. Do you know what scourging means? That means to flog. That's what the Roman soldiers did to Jesus Christ. They scourged him with a cat of nine tails. So this is about as severe as you can get. And the Bible says that God does this to his children. Now, I don't mean to take away your charismatic understanding, which isn't biblical at all. Or I bet God is kind of like I am. I'll bet he's not. I'll bet you're supposed to be more like he is. And I'll just almost bet you that you also are a little ignorant of some of these scriptures I'm bringing up. And on top of all of that, listen to me very carefully. God's not like us. We're supposed to be like him. And so we find out scourging. So in these verses, verse 5 and verse 6, chastening to educate or discipline by punishment of some kind. Punishment of some kind. I don't believe in punishment. So you disagree with God. This always gets quiet. Not my little angel. There are more little devils than there are angels. I'm just saying. Okay? Rebuke means convict, convince, tell of a fault or reprimand to the face. And then he said, scourging means to flog. To flog? To flog? By the way, if you say, preacher, you can't spank kids out in public. You shouldn't have spanked kids out in public. That should have been taken care of at home. And when you look at them, you go, that's enough. Done. Done deal. You understand? You're waiting until you get out in public because then you're embarrassed. You're embarrassing me. You could have taken care of that at home. 
but we'll talk about families later on. I want you to turn and say, okay, preach, you convince me. God does this sometimes. God does this. Yes, he does. What brings on affliction, though? Why would God do it? What's the reason for it? That's a good question. Turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah. The reason will tell us the why. The reason will tell us the why. Are you listening to me? He said, why would he do this? Well, the reason he does it will tell us why he did it. Watch what happens here. In Jonah chapter number 1, verse number 17. Jonah chapter 1, verse, now if you can find Daniel, go backward five books toward the New Testament and you'll bump right into him. Okay? Just in case you can't find him. And you still can't find him. And you still can't find him. There's a thing in the front of your book called an index, in the Bible called an index. Seriously, folks, we're here to learn Bible. So don't quit looking around. Oh, people think I don't know my Bible. You don't know your Bible. We're trying to learn, aren't we? Okay, very good. Jonah chapter number 1, look at verse number 17. Ready? Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up. Boy, that sounds pretty severe. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter number 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord out of the, this kind of sounds like what David was talking about. After I was afflicted, it changed me back to you. Watch what happened. Verse 2. And he said, <coughs> excuse me, I cried by reason, oh, there it is. Reason, I cried to God by reason of my affliction. Watch what he said. Unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardst my voice. For thou hast cast me, who did this? God did. Thou hast cast me into the deep and the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All, the bill, all thy billows and thy waves passed me over. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again. How did he know to do what was right when he's in a fish's belly? Because he knew what God really wanted. He knew what God was doing in his life. So, so let's quit claiming ignorance. Preacher, I don't know why this is going on in my life. We'll talk about that in a moment. Watch what he says. Verse 5, the waters compassed me about. They surrounded me. Even to my soul, the depths closed me round about. <laughs> the weeds were wrapped around my head. Can you just imagine this? He's got all this mucus around him, all this seaweed around him, waters. He's almost drowning. And yet it took him three days to figure this out. Why, why do you keep going in this wrong direction? Why do you keep fussing with everything that's going wrong in your life? Why don't you just stop and cry? You know why the chastisement's there. You know, every kid in the world knows. Dad, why are you doing They know. They know why dad spanking them. They know why mom said, no, you're not getting that. They know why. But like spoiled children, they're going to cry about it anyway. So what happens here is this. Jonah, look in verse number, chapter 2, verse 1 says, then, then, not until, then. Chapter 2, verse 2, I cried by reason of my affliction. The reason that he cried out to God was because of the affliction. So this is a good thing. Wait a minute, look at verse number 4, chapter 2. We have the word then once again. Chapter number 2, verse 7, then, when my soul fainted within me, I remember, when I couldn't take it anymore, when I thought I was a goner, when I thought it's all over with, when they were getting ready to make my tombstone, I cried out to the Lord. That's all God wanted to begin with. Why do we keep hesitating 
well, I don't have to give in yet. I can still take this. Why? Why do we want to do that? So number one, what brings on the affliction by God? Look in chapter number one, verse two and three. Verse, chapter 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up unto, to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Yeah, look what it says. From the presence of the Lord. What brings on the affliction of God? disobedience to a direct command disobedience to a direct command disobedience to dire- by the way this is why parents should chastise their children not just because uh, they got between you and the TV not just because they they uh, they did something that kind of irritated you no direct disobedience don't excuse that that would be sinful now you're telling them sometimes it's not too bad to sin. You shouldn't do that. So we find out here, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Why? From the presence of the Lord. God does not afflict his children or chastise them because of some obscure principle you just don't quite get. God doesn't do that. He's a good father. He's a good father. He's not just seeing how much you can take. He's not just seeing how much you'll respond. God is trying to do this for our profit. By the way, parents, this is what you should be doing for your children. And so we have here, it's not that I didn't receive enough light. I don't fully understand it. God said, no, it's direct disobedience. You directly disobeyed what I told you to do. But he does it because of disobedience to a clear command. I mean, let's admit it. What he told Jonah is a little hard to overlook as being, hmm, I don't quite understand. It's pretty obvious, pretty direct. Arise. What's that mean? Get up. Everybody with me so far? Even you people go to public school. You got that part? Arise. You know what that means? Get up. Ready? What's he say next? Go. What's that mean? Move. Get up. Go. Where? What's he say? To Nineveh. He named the city. So he tells him, get up, go. He names the city. Okay, so far, we having trouble with this? I didn't think so. Watch what he says. That great city. So he doesn't get it mixed up with maybe another city called Nineveh. You know, the great one. The great city, Nineveh. That one. Yeah, go there. Then he says this and cry against it. You're not going there to apply for a job. You're not going there to, 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 to run for mayor. You're not going there just to see how the, how the city is going on. He went there, and we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, he went against what he knew was right because God spelled it out for him the whole time. Folks, the Bible is not that hard to understand. But it is when your brain and heart keeps fussing with what God keeps telling you. Jonah disobeyed a direct, clear command from God, and God allowed or brought on affliction in Jonah's life. He wasn't mad at Jonah. He was trying to get Jonah back into the will of God so Jonah would do what God wanted him to do. It's no, 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 no tougher than that. I believe much, if not most, of the hard times and problems in Christian's life has nothing to do with I don't understand. I believe most of the hard times come because of a direct disobedience to a clear 
command that God gave us. It's not that confusing. God would not chastise, flog, afflict because you didn't understand something. See, the amazing part about God, you can't fool him like your parents or the preacher or the judge downtown. Honest, Your Honor, I didn't know any better at all. God said, yes, you did. It read your mind the whole time. He knows the intentions of your heart. Hebrews talks about the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even asunder in between those, between, you ready for this? Intentions and thoughts. God said, you intend to do that, and this is what you're thinking. I don't know where that's at, but God's word does. So when you're sitting here and you keep going, it's like he's talking to me. No, the word of God is talking to you. What God is doing is rebuking you to the face, if you would, so that you'll make that adjustment. God does not want to flog. God does not want to chastise. God does not want to afflict. But God does want you back into his will where you belong. I believe much, if not most, of the hard times, problems, and so on that so many Christians go through is because of direct disobedience to a plain command of God. Example. You ready? Here's a favorite subject. Tithes and offerings. You still fuss with that, don't you? Oh, here he goes again. All he wants is money. Keep your money. Just keep it. Keep it all. Every once in a while when you even think about giving, don't. Just keep it. Keep the whole thing. And that way when I call you stingy and disobedient, you'll know who I'm talking to. I work hard for my money. Huh. There is no hidden concepts or principles, and we all know it when it comes to giving. There are no hidden concepts or hidden principles. If that were true, God would not withhold because you didn't understand. That is not, that, and that is, is right and God wants us to do it is absolutely obvious. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, verse 2. What, what do we call today? Not only is it the Lord's day, it's not your work day, your play day, your fishing day. It's the Lord's day. Okay, I'll wait for some of you men to get a backbone and start amening. Amen, so your wife will know. Honey, we go to church on Sunday because it is right. Okay, thank all four of you for amening backing me up. Now, here's what he says. Upon the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that's not Monday. Monday is the first work day. Sunday is the first day of the week. That's why Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Saturday, Sabbath means seventh. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, ding, right? Saturday. Then we start again the first day of the week, which is the eighth day, which in numerology stands for the beginnings or another beginning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There we go again. You understand? Uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So what happens here is this. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So this morning, because you want to obey the Lord or you're still doing this, well, you know, I give in other ways. You mean other than the way God told you to? See, what we're doing, we're adding things that God didn't say. We're suggesting things that hopefully God will allow. No, he won't. See, you're his children. He's a good father. He wants to bless your life, and he can't because you're disobeying a direct command from the Lord. Here's another one, and I think even a bigger one, and it is forgiving. Okay, now I'm not talking about your money, so you can amen, okay? I believe this is one of the most disobeyed, plain, clear, obvious commands disobeyed by most Christians. You do not have to understand to forgive. 
You do not have to understand. You do not have to know if they need it or deserve it. You do not need to know that. Forgiving is a command by God Almighty, and how much and when and who is just as plain. How much do I forgive? Who do I forgive? When do I forgive? Very plain in the Bible. So I go back to, you ignorant of the Bible? You've been listening to the wrong people teach you what's not Bible? Watch what the Bible has to say in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32. Forgiving one another. And then it tells us how. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How many of you are saved? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Okay, there you go. You look around going, I guess I am too. Listen to me carefully. Aren't you glad that not only you got saved, but every time you sin, mess up, falter, call it what you want, you run back to God and God says, come here, I forgive you. Let's go. Let's work at it again. Aren't you glad for that? And God tells you that's the way you forgive other people. Oh, no. No. Not this time. No. They don't. Go ahead. Say the next word. Deserve it. You didn't either. So we're not really acting like our father, are we? And God wants us to act like our father. So God is going to make things in our life to where we go back to him and say, God, please forgive me. And God said, you remember that fellow you didn't forgive? You remember that lady? You remember your mom you didn't forgive yet? You remember your dad you haven't forgiven yet? Wow, that got a little quiet. We got some daddy issues. So what happens here? Forgive is a direct command. Many in Christianity are trying to inflict some kind of hurt on another Christian to teach them a lesson because they have been hurt or somebody that they love has been hurt. So you're using something as great as forgiveness as a tool to inflict pain upon somebody else. That doesn't sound very Christian-like at all. Yet it is God that is afflicting you. Because you will not receive forgiveness, nor will you genuinely forgive. It's like a person, person, I've been through all this. Oh, you want me to forgive my husband? Okay, there, I forgive you. Okay, how's that preacher? I said, no, that won't do. What do you want from me? I just forgave him. You heard me. The Bible said, from the heart. Now, honestly, there are times I wish God hadn't put that part in there. Because I just go, I forgive you. Now, get out of my life. But God said, from the heart. God said, if your feelings, emotions, and sincerity is not in it, it's not forgiveness. Man, that puts a lot of pressure on, doesn't it? It's like, really? Come on, he had to say that? Yeah, he had to say that. So we find out here, I'd like you to show me a verse or connection of scriptures anywhere in the Bible where God okays for a Christian for any reason at all that they do not have to forgive. Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek. Knew him for three years. It's not like, you know, I don't understand him. He was with him for three years. Betrayed him with a kiss for some money. Does anybody remember what Jesus called him the very night he did that? Called him friend. Jesus didn't want him destroyed. All that time, Jesus let him hang around, I believe, in hopes that he would come to Christ. But he didn't. So God used him. Other plain commands. I mean, let's quit fooling around with the Lord. It's like we do, you allow your kids to talk. I don't understand parents today. I'm sorry, I don't, so I'm not trying to be ignorant. I just don't get it. Mom, that's not fair. Why are your children even talking to you that way? Here's what happened. 
you were little and thought some things were unfair. So you let your kids do pretty much what they want to, and now they're talking back to you. Now they're telling you what they will and won't do. I don't have to do that. I'm sorry, this is, everything I'm saying right now is totally foreign to me. When we were, my wife's sitting right back there. Foreign to me when we raised our four brat, uh, kids. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know what you're doing. It's not biblical at all. Going and assembling at church is a direct command from God. It is a direct command, and he said, and the much more as you see the day approaching. Not the much less. Okay, look at churches. Look, look, look outside on their sign. Service, 1030. That's it. They've got buildings, multiple buildings, more than we do. One service. I'm sorry, the Bible said, assembling yourselves together and the much more as you see. That's a direct command of God. He didn't say whether you think you could or not, whether you have time or not. God said, you need this, and I'm telling you what you need. How about witnessing and spreading the gospel? You say, preacher, I can't make it on Saturday. I didn't say Saturday. By the way, I found something out. When we were in uh, Pakistan, they don't go door-to-door soul winning. But you'll hear, you'll hear American preachers going like this. If you're not going door-to-door soul winning, you're not right with God. Then nobody in Pakistan is right with God. They don't go door-to-door soul winning. They all meet, and kind of like they did in the Bible. They all met together, whether in a house or out somewhere. They all gathered together, and somebody got up and preached and spoke about Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing about it is you'll see it on our presentation on the 7th, that p.m. service. I had the blessing of preaching to over 500 people in the dark. The electricity kept going out. It was really exciting. And uh, so I was preaching. And what got me was my first time I preached to a smaller village, I said, let me see your hand if you receive Christ. Right after that, the interpreter came, a great guy. He said, preacher, they don't raise their hand anymore. Oh, I didn't know that. If you don't raise your hand, you're not right with God. We say things that aren't even biblical sometimes. We didn't knock on one door. That awful? Went on a mission trip, never knocked on one door. Isn't that terrible? But I asked him, I said, then how do you know who's receiving Christ and who's not? He said, they stand up in the middle of the crowd. So this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're getting saved, you need to stand up. He said, preach, I'll be so embarrassed. These people go from being Muslims, came to listen to Christ being preached, knowing that just over the wall is their village full of Muslims, and they stand up in public declaring, I have just received Christ as my Savior. Wow. So in the dark, I keep saying, so preacher, how many, how many do you think stood up? He said, somewhere between 45 and 50. And they said that night before I went there, he said, now preacher, listen to me carefully. Whatever you're going to preach on will probably be okay, but I'm just telling you, probably only 20% are probably Christians at all. 80% of the crowd will be Muslim. Well, you don't hear about that in the United States, do you? So then I wonder, okay, well, did anybody listen? Did anybody get saved? He said, those that stand up. Now, in one village, none of the women stood up at all. But you know how women are. No, I'm kidding. None of them stood right? None of them stood up. So I asked about that. Preacher, why didn't any of the women? Did they not live? Did they not understand? In that village, they said the women will not stand up until their husband permits them to. Now, some of you husbands right now, oh, that's a good point. Let's write that one down right there. Understand. Another one, seriously, obey your mother and father. What's to, what's to not understand? Okay, feel free to stand up and tell me how you misunderstand that. Anybody? Well, what if, that's not what he says. He, there's no ifs. 
There's no condition. It simply says, you know, you have a Father in heaven that knows how to straighten people out, how to spare your life, how to change things around, but you may have to endure a few things for the sake of maybe winning your own mother or your own father to Christ. I had to. I've got other people, men and women both, that had to do that with their own parents. And where's Abigail? Abigail in here? Where you at? Abigail, little Mexican girl back here. Yeah, wave, Abigail. Dressed up like an elf. Can I tell him this, Abigail? Okay. When Abigail first came here, she was 11, 11 years old, illegal as all get out. <coughs> Abigail came here and was brought by her mother. And uh, Abigail came here and, and her mother, being unsaved, Catholic, unsaved, Catholic, unsaved, unsaved Catholic. Catholics are unsaved. And so what happened? Don't look at me and grin. She's unsaved. And she would look at Abigail, a very beautiful girl, and she said, why don't you date? Why don't you go out and find yourself a guy somewhere? Mom, I, I just don't want to. And so mom would have things going on at the house, and she would just stay in her room. I hate my mother for that. Not one time. To this day, she loves her mom and trying to win her mom to Christ. You see, the thing is, we think when somebody doesn't agree, we have to be bitter and angry and hate them. Children, obey your parents. The only time you don't obey your parents is when they supersede a direct command from God. So when they said, why don't you drink? I can't. You need to obey your mom. No. God said. See what I'm saying? So don't make up rules now. Don't make up. Well, I just don't think God wants. Stop thinking for God. Okay. Obvious principles, what we're talking about. How about obeying and submitting yourselves to those who preach unto you the word of God? And by the way, in Hebrews, that's what it teaches. The book of Hebrews. I've never understood why a person would come to a church and then disagree and openly talk about it and stay there. Go someplace else. You don't want me here? No, not really. Go somewhere. You have freedom. Go to me. I just preached on that the other day. And so these things, God chastens and afflicts his children for disobeying a direct command. Number two, a change of God-given direction. God-given direction. Go back to Jonah, chapter number one. Look at verse number two and three. Arise. We just went through this. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah... He's an independent kind of thinker. Yeah, nobody just leads him around by the nose. He can think for himself. Really? Okay. Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down into Joppa, and he found a ship. How lucky him. Found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. There, Yeah, you will. You'll pay for it. I'm just telling you ahead of time. You run from the direction God put you in, you will pay for it. But why would he do that? to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah arbitrarily, hey, turn me on. This one, yeah. Jonah arbitrarily took upon himself to just go in a different direction than what God told him. God wants you to be a missionary. You better keep in that direction. God tells you don't go there. and You decide to go anywhere. I suggest you don't go there. When God puts you in this church, I would suggest unless there is a direct command for you to leave that church. Look, folks, we've got to quit talking. For I believe what God wants me to do. 
was talking to you the other day about that girl that wanted to get married and just didn't know who to get married to. I told you that story, right? And there's this guy, and I, I just don't know if I should marry him. For so she's driving down the road, turns on the radio, and there's a song about a guy by the name of John. Preacher, you won't believe it. I know who I'm supposed to marry. It's weird. God pointed out to me. Look, I, I wasn't even praying. I know. I was just driving down the road, and this song came on about a girl who met a guy by the name of Johnny and got married. I know who I'm supposed to marry. Folks, that is not the way you decide God's will. Jonah arbitrarily took upon himself to go in a different direction than the one that God had plainly told him to go in. Jonah simply did not like the choice of the direction. Well, there's a lot of things God says I'm not fond of. I just know God's right. Folks, right's not always easy. It's just right. There's no substitute for right. It's just right. This contributed to God afflicting Jonah even more. He not only disobeyed a direct command, then he disobeyed the direction God told him to go. Do you see what contributing to this chastisement and affliction from God is because of the disobedience to what and where God told him to be? Where were you on your bus route this morning? Where were you in Sunday school class? Sunday school class is not an option. Get your lazy self out of bed and get to Sunday school. Why? Because that's what your church does. We go to Sunday school. We carry a Bible to church. Get, get rid of your cell phone. You know why? Maybe you're just Googling and you're trying to make everybody think you're reading the Bible. You say, no, preacher, I'm reading my Bible. Okay, then let's just carry a Bible and everybody will know. You want to keep bad company away from you at the job? Carry a big Bible. Carry the family Bible. You know, great big one. Got your whole family history in there, you know, people who hung themselves and people who went to prison, all that kind of stuff. Keep it with you. And then when you sit down at the picnic table to eat or you go into the cafeteria area, just open it up. Morning. How are you? Oh, we heard the reverend was coming to work here. Yes, ma'am. What can I do for you? Ah, nothing. Okay. Not hurting me any. Listen to me very carefully. Don't try to fool me or yourself, my Christian friend. That the reason you are genuinely happy, uh, I'm sorry, not genuinely happy or bitter or critical, if these things are going on, do not try to convince me. Having an unforgiving spirit is because you're serving the Lord and that's why you can't do it. That's not true. If you were serving the Lord and suffering for him, you would be joyous that you were able to suffer for the Lord. But when we have to do it because of our own fault, there's nothing to be joyous about. There's nothing to be happy about at all. If this were true, if you were actually suffering for the cause of Christ and right, you'd count it all joy, the Bible talks about. You would certainly not be disobeying in other areas. I'm serving the Lord and I'm very happy, but I'm not forgiving her. That can't be right. There's not one time when my dad was spanking me, I was still happy about other things. Are you listening to me? Most people, affliction means to depress, weaken, hurt, or ravish. Most people who change churches and leadership change contrary to the word of God. They don't really have a Bible reason for leaving. I said most. They have a feeling. I just think. Well, I was praying the other day, and I think God wants me to. But can I, can I help you with something? That statement right there, you're going to answer it to. 
to God for speaking for him when he didn't tell you. But this is a big thing in Christianity anymore. I'm sorry, in religion anymore. Well, God just led me. I think God was telling me. I, I had this feeling from God. Folks, that's not Bible at all. There's no Bible for that at all. If it's not Bible, it's not Bible. Why do you think God gave us a book? So we can read stuff outside of it? God gave us a book for a reason. They changed direction and location because they got, a fe- they, they got their feelings hurt. Again, we're back to the children and thinking they should never hurt, they should never do without, right? I keep thinking about Noah. I like Noah. Noah's a great kid. And um, I guess Noah, when he was younger, like your boy, they seemed to want to catch themselves with their face. When they run into chairs, they stop themselves by their face. When they're playing on the playground, they let go, and the way they catch themselves in the ground is with their face. And I keep thinking to myself, don't your mom and dad ever teach you anything? So Laura simply says, by the way, almost, did he knock out it? They shoved it back in. It, it got, got a tooth knocked. Yeah, now here's what somebody do. What in the world is going on at that school? That's what I want to know. Right? Laura goes like this. No, quit catching yourself with your face. We've taught you better than that. Sends him back to school. Great mom. Great mom. Now, I don't understand the whole fork at the TV thing. I don't get that part. But, Mateo. Mateo always wants, he's, he's top heavy, okay? So, when he runs, he does this, okay? He leads with his head. So, one day, boy, he got a big old scar right here. He fell against one of those chairs, that little hook on the side. Sure enough, he caught himself with that hook, bing, right there in the face. And it bled like a stuck pig. And they... Went back there, did all this kind of stuff, got blood everywhere, and, and uh, just went on with life. Sure enough, what a couple days later, he did it again somewhere else. He's always running his head into stuff. It's like us. We won't listen to God. We're going to run our head into stuff because we can take it. Really? You sure you want to face God that way? You and your pastor just do not see eye to eye. Folks, look at me. Look at me. Can I be honest with you? I hope so. I'm preaching right now. There will be times you and I will not agree. I don't care how close a friend we are. There will be times I will say things you're going, uh, I don't agree with that. What are you going to do during that time? So you're coming here saying, I already understand all truths and all mysteries, and you can't tell me anything. Is that, is that, is that good? No. They do things at church you say, I just can't agree with. When's the last time you built a church? It's not as easy as I make it look. When's the last time you sit there and judge me and then tell other people? You shouldn't judge. And you judge me constantly. Oh, yes, you do. Like this. Hmm, I don't know if I agree with that. You're judging me. God said you shouldn't judge. God said if you're not righteous, you shouldn't judge, and your judgment would not be right. Ooh, how about that? but the righteous judges all things. The Bible says so. See, it's this Bible thing keeps coming up. These are not Bible reasons, but personal and selfish reasons on why you leave certain churches. See, I keep talking about money, and you're so selfish and stingy. Uh, honey, I think, I think God's leading us somewhere else. Ask my wife, who causes the most trouble in church? Women. <laughs> you're sitting there right now going like this. I don't think so. 
all the women here will tell you, yeah, that's probably true most of the time. You said, does it have to be that way? No, I don't think so. By the way, guess who caused the biggest problem in the garden? Guess who caused the biggest problem with Solomon? Thank you. David? I rest my case. You just didn't know your Bible. That was the problem right there. Jonah was afflicted by God because he changed direction from the direction God had sent him. Do you want to know his reasons why he didn't want to go there? Number one, he would suffer embarrassment if they all got saved. Now, that's a great reason. What if they all get saved? I'll look silly. Yeah, Jonah, that'd be terrible if an entire city got saved and you happen to be the evangelist that brought the revival. Yeah, that'd look pretty bad. Look, if you would, Jonah chapter number four, verse number one. Now, this is after the revival. Everybody in the city got saved, from the king all the way down. I mean, everybody got saved. Ready? Verse number one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. What? Everybody got, kids got saved, king got saved, butcher got saved, baker got saved, candlestick maker, everybody got saved. Everybody got saved. And Jonah, this made you mad? No, it embarrassed him. Watch what he says. And he prayed unto the Lord. Now he's going to go have a talk with God. I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was when I was still in my country, before you forced me to have to do all this? Didn't I tell you this is what would happen? Watch what he says. Therefore I fled to Tarsus, for I knew, I knew, I knew thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to angry, of great kindness, and repentance of the evil. I'm going to destroy that city, and you change your mind. Oh, I'm angry. That's a good reason not to go that direction. I tell you another reason. Historically, and according to the Bible, these were the Jews' mortal enemies. These people killed Jews and beat up on them all the time. Why would Jonah want to go and bail out some people that's been killing his people? Why would he want to do that? I was just in a country where I'm winning Muslims to Christ. They're not our enemy. Even if they act like our enemy, they're not my enemy. They need Christ. Jonah said, uh-uh, no, I, I, why would I want to win them? They're the ones that have been picking on our folks and killing them all the time. I don't want to do that. Jonah was, was um, so, so, uh, so number one, he suffered embarrassment. Number two, he was prejudiced. He just felt prejudiced. I don't want to win those people to Christ. I don't like them. They're picking on our folks. They deserve to die. And I knew you were going to change your mind. How do you think that's going to make me look? Now aren't these, these are really good reasons, by the way. So then finally, number three, when they refuse to get right with God and do good. Why does God chastise you? Listen to me carefully. Those of you that have heard a truth over and over and over and over again, you're refusing. You don't misunderstand. Not in this church, you don't misunderstand. You may not like something. You don't misunderstand. I make it pretty plain. Am I beating around the bush this morning? Is there anything you don't understand so far? I didn't say is there anything you don't agree with. I said you do not understand. It's just so confusing. It's like, I don't get it. No, that's what I thought. Pretty plain. Okay, ready? Another reason. When people refuse to get right with God and their duty. Jonah chapter number one, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse number 17. I have a question for you. Why didn't Jonah get right when the storm first came up? 
Look what it says, verse number one, chapter four. But the Lord sent out a great wind. Okay, here's your first warning, Jonah. God didn't slap him down, send a whale right off the bat, have people throw. That's not what he did. God sent a storm into his life and said, please pay attention. But he didn't pay attention. Watch what else he says. Verse number four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was, if this were me, I'm thinking, God, I know why this is happening. <laughs> please stop this. We know. We know. We know what's causing the hurt and pain and affliction. Yes, we do. Look at, why didn't he get right when confronted about the problem from other people? Look at verse number six. So the master of the ship came to him and said to them, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we will not perish. And they said, I'm sorry, and they said every one to his fellow, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil has come upon us. So they cast, oh, look here. Fell upon Jonah. Oh, what an accident. Bad luck. Nope. Now we know. Because of you. That's what he said. And the lot fell upon Jonah. Verse number eight. And they said, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil has come upon us? What is thy occupation? Whence to comest thou? What is thy country? And what are thy people? And, and what of, I'm sorry. And what? And of what people art thou? Verse number nine. And he said unto them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. No, you don't. You don't notice how people, preacher, trust me. I fear the Lord. Don't lie to yourself. You don't go to church. You don't read your Bible. You don't pay your tithes. You never witness anybody. You don't fear the Lord. No, you don't. It's just a habit you got into say, Jonah, you're heading in the wrong direction. You flat disobeyed God. You jeopardize other people's lives. And you want them to think you fear God. No, you don't. Watch what he says here. And he said, I'm a Hebrew, and that which uh, I fear the God of heaven, which hath made heaven and earth. Verse number 10. Then were the men exceeding afraid and said unto him, why? Why? Why have you done this? Do you know your disobedience is going to include other people? Nobody walks out of church by themselves. Nobody backslides when it's just them. Nobody causes a problem and affects nobody but themselves. Nobody. Jonah, now, his disobedience is putting other people's lives in danger. Their livelihood, their very lives, they're also going to drown. Their ship's going to be torn apart. And Jonah said, watch what he says here. Go down to verse number uh, 10. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. How come you're out here while you're not in church? Well, I'll tell you why. They'll tell you. Yeah, I got my feelings hurt. Yeah, you know how preachers are. Yeah, my youth leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many excuses? You have an excuse for not obeying God? You have a good reason for not going to church because a woman told me one time, I'll never go to a Baptist church. I went to one once. There are hundreds of thousands of Baptist churches. And we're kind of different from all of them. But she said, I went to one once, I'll never go again. That's like the woman who told my wife. She said, I'll never send my kids back. Your church hates children. Not we love good children. Is that, no. 
I, she told, she looked at her and said, ma'am, back then we ran 10 buses. We brought in four or 500 children every week. Watch the ignorance here. My wife told her that. She goes, oh, I didn't know that. So you were making this strong statement, right? Taking a great stand, a hard stand, even told somebody what you thought on things you didn't know anything about. This is what happens so many times. Why didn't he get right when he saw the effects on other people's lives around him? Don't you understand some of you kids in here, the hardships you're causing your parents? They're trying their best to figure out why. Why can't we live for the Lord? Why, why are things going wrong every time we turn around? Because you're sinning. You're not living right. You're disobeying. And God, in order to get to you, has to get to the housewife because that's where you're at. You don't care. Yeah, it's because of me. I don't care. We're going to have to throw you overboard. Now, I can instruct you to do that. I've never had but one other family obey me in that area. Preacher, I just can't turn my kids out. I know that's why they're going to continue to wreck your home and wreck your life. Why didn't he get right when he spent his first day in hell? Why did he do that in chapter 2, verse number 2? By the way, it doesn't say whale. It says hell. If you keep going, you are making hell on earth because of you. You are causing so many trouble. You ever hear somebody go, I think hell's on earth. Well, to a point, it's not flames and lake of fire, not that kind of hell. But you are causing and creating a hell of your own making. The Bible says in Proverbs that a whorish woman, her feet take, uh, uh, her steps take a hold of hell. Okay, a whore cannot send you to hell. But you're making a hell on earth for yourself by doing that. So what are we talking about? Why, why didn't he get right the second day? Okay, I'm in a belly, whale's belly. I got seaweed wrapped around my head. I'm drowning. I know it's because of me, but it's only the second day. What's wrong with you, Jonah? Why don't you run to God? Why didn't he, what he did the third day, why didn't he do that the first day? Why didn't he do it while he's still on the ship and the storm was there? Why didn't he do it when he saw other people's lives in jeopardy? What are you waiting for? The chastisement and or affliction of God has not been severe enough to make you want to do what's right yet, has it? Is that what you're waiting on? For God to flog? For, I don't think God will. I'm sorry, I just read to you, yes, he will because he loves you. He's doing that because he's trying to turn you back to him so he can bless you again and help you again and guide you again and draw you close to He's not doing it just to beat you. He's doing it to change your mind. Understand, I am not talking about suffering for righteousness sake or the nature that we happen to be in. Well, I'm sick and God's punishing me. No, everybody gets sick. <coughs> Excuse me. Flus, colds, your car rusts out. Everybody goes through that. You're not suffering for Christ's sake. Those things are common to men. But when a car accident happens, when you're rushed to the hospital, think with me now, car accident happened. You're rushed to the hospital, emergency room of some kind, house burns down, unexpected loss of job, disease invades your body. Whether you show it outwardly or not, inwardly you know why that's happened. Preacher, I, I know why this is happening. I've had people tell me that. I know why this is going on. Why did you wait? Because you have to be in the 
belly of hell for three days, almost drowning, seaweed wrapped around your head, no daylight, no nothing. Why? Why are you waiting? Folks, listen to me. I love you. God loves you a lot more than I do. Why would you keep playing this game of disobeying God? God wants me to do this. I don't think I need to. God wants me to go there. No, I want to go over here. God said, why don't you repent? No, I don't think I have to yet. Why? Why do you keep doing that? Jonah got himself, if you would, deeper and deeper in trouble all the time. And then finally, what is God's intended purpose for all this? Is there a purpose behind all this or just to punish us? God doesn't do that. God doesn't punish to be punishable, to bring you back to right. Why? So that he can help you. Why? So that he can bless you. You think you're doing okay. Think of what you could be doing right now. Walking next to God. Jonah, even when you were still bitter and didn't like it, by obeying the Lord, an entire city got saved. By the way, he still had a bad attitude. <laughs> he still didn't like what God did, but he obeyed. God doesn't say, hey, if you really like it, obey me. God said, no, you need to obey me. Jonah finally obeyed the Lord, and we come to find out he had a rotten attitude about the whole thing. He actually went up on a hill and sat down waiting to see if everybody's going to be destroyed or not. He could care less, and the Lord came to him. Folks, listen to me. There are things you absolutely care about. You cry about, oh, God, why? And yet people are dying going to hell. You're causing your family more trouble than they know what to do with, and yet you will not, you're going to stick by your guns, and you're going to stand for what you think is, Why? Jonah goes up on a hill and sits down. God even allows a gourd to grow up on top of him so that the sun would not blister his head. And Jonah's mad. Just wait and see what God's going to do. Everybody got saved. Place was not destroyed. God actually comes to him and says, Jonah, I, it's always amazed me how God wants to reason with almighty God wants to, can I ask a question? God said, why are you still upset? God doesn't need to do that, but he does. Why hasn't God destroyed you yet, disobedient individual? Because that's not what he wants to do. That doesn't mean he won't chastise you. If he wants to bad enough, he'll break you. Is that what you're waiting on? So God went up there and tried to reason with him. And he makes the gourd in one day. It shrivels up because of a worm comes along, invades it, it dies. Jonah's really mad now. Go to the last chapter. Look what he says here. Look at verse number four. Then said the Lord, dost thou what do well to be mad, to be angry? Jonah, is this, a, is, is this a right thing? Are you doing a good thing here? And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and, and made him a booth and sat under it till he might see what would become the city. Okay, God, I did what you want me to do, and I'm going to see what's going to happen. And that's what he did. He went up on the hill, sat there, and watched. Watch what happened. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. You got a million plus, two million people getting saved down the city and you're happy about a tree that brought you a little relief. But God prepared a worm the next morning, rose the next day and it smote the gourd and it withered. And it came to pass when the sun rose that God prepared a vehement east wind and, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah <coughs> me, that he fainted and went, oh really? Jonah, if you wished to die, you could have stayed in the well. You could have stayed on the ship and it would have been destroyed. You'd have drowned. Oh, now all of a sudden it's you. Oh, I, I get it. Now it's really bothering you. 
Oh, it's more than you can bear. Oh, I get it. Okay. And he said, is it, it is better for me to die than to live. You know how many times I've heard people in hospitals make those kinds of statements? Living the way they want to, running around like a whore or a whoremonger, taking drugs, drinking, running around, dancing, do whatever they want to do, and end up in the hospital and get mad at God. Why would God do this to me? I'm sorry, you did that to yourself. God in his mercy did not kill you. He's trying to get you to change your mind and come back his direction. Watch what happens here. Verse number nine. And God said unto Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto thee. You just going to stick by your guns, aren't you? Well, at least I'm in church. Oh, good. And praise God. At least I don't do that. That's critical. Then the Lord said, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. You had compassion on something like that. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein is more than six score thousand, a score is 20, 60,000 persons which cannot discern their right hand from their left? There's little children. 600,000 children. He said, which one's your right hand? I don't know what you're talking about. 600,000. I'm sorry, 60. Come on. I'm afraid of 60. Yeah, that's good. More than six score thousand persons. I can't believe it. Jonah, a plant? Wives, yeah. That's my favorite plant. And you won't spank your child for burning it down. Jonah, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? So we find out here what's God's intended purpose. Go back to Psalms and we're done. Psalms 119. I'll show you God's intended purpose so I don't have to make this up. So you can actually see what God has to say about this. Folks, listen to me. Some of you are going to get yourselves into serious sin and disobedience to God over the holidays. <coughs> you know you shouldn't go to that office party? You know what's going to happen, right? Sure you do. You're backslidden and lost relatives. You know what's going to happen if you go there. But you're going anyway, aren't you? You know what's going to happen. And you're fussing with yourself. And what you're fussing about is God saying, you're right. You stay in the direction I told you to go. You obey me, okay? But Jonah got up to leave the presence of God. So to bring you back to right, look at Psalm 119.75. I know. So do you. So do I. I know. You know. You know right now what the things that are happening in your life. You know why it's happening. Oh, Lord, that thy judgments are right. You know God's word is right. Just quit fussing with it. You know that. Why? And that thou in faithfulness afflicted me. I know you're right. I know your judgments are right. He also know, and so do we, that God has firmly and steady, that's called faithful, been afflicted. You just step out of line and go, that's it, I'm done with you. God didn't do that. From the stand, he tried to rebuke you. Your parents or a good Christian friend said, what are you doing? 
you didn't listen. Then something happened and you went, oh, boy, that was close. Right? You're still not listening. Right? It just keeps getting worse all the time. You know why? God's not trying to kill you first time you step out. God's trying to get you. Jonah, I sent a storm. You weren't paying any attention. But you knew it was because of you. Jonah, I caused problems in other people's lives, and you even told me it was because of you. And then you got thrown overboard. Guess why? Because of you. And then I prepared a great whale. You know why? Because of you. And you know why you had to stay in there three days? It wasn't because of me. It was because of you. You simply would not, in your stubbornness and your self-willed, you would not go back and do what I told you to do, where I told you to do it. Jonah, this is why this is happening to you. Psalm 119.71. It is good for me. What? It is good for me? I see, it's good for me. Do you know why we have so many spoiled teenagers and young adults? Because they've never been chastised. They've never been corrected and they've never been stopped. We gave them choices. I used to give my kids choices. Three of them. Every time they turn around, three choices. One whack, two whacks, or three whacks. All you have to do is increase velocity. Now here you're sitting right here, gritting your teeth going, I don't know what kind of a man that is. A good one. It is good for me that I have been set free, let go, ignored, let me have my way, afflicted. That means depressed. It's been good for me that I have been weakened, hurt, or ravished, that I might learn thy statutes. God will, God will, God, your father, if you're saved, you raised your hand a moment ago, either you're lying or you're not, or you're saved. You raised your hand said, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior. And because of that, because of that, your Heavenly Father, because He loves you and He's a good Father, not like many of the fathers we've had, He is a good Father. And when He chastised you, just like Jonah, it was for Jonah's good. Do you know when Jonah gets to heaven, even in all his disbelief and anger, God's going to say, you won over a million people to me. It will be rewarded for that. I know about the rest of his life. God will bring on this hurt for you because most of us will learn no other way. Just like Jonah. We just will not give in. You won't, you won't give in to a hint. You won't give in to a rebuke to the face. You will not give in to somebody going, what are you doing? What's happening in your life? When I ask you, you doing okay? Yes, preacher, why? Why would I ask? I don't know. Are, are you reading into something? Yes, matter of fact, I am. The reason for the affliction, you're going astray. You keep not obeying God's word. But in faithfulness, God will afflict you to help you get back to where you belong. God wants desperately to use you. You understand? He's not trying to keep you. Jonah, he's not saying, well, I'm glad that guy's out of the way. Even when he went out of the way, God went after him and brought him back. God wants to use you, Christian. He really wants to use you. Go to Hebrews. Did I say we'd be done after that? Okay, go to Hebrews, and we will. We'll be done after that. <coughs> I really want to quit early. I do. I just never been able to. Doesn't mean I don't want to. Hebrews chapter twelve. Now maybe you'll understand 
your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. Now that you know the truth and do it not, you haven't you sinned? There's no ignorance now. When your children, what goes on in church, what God does in your life. Now let's just admit, when you thought you were going to lose that arm or you thought you were going to lose that child or you were in that car accident and you had been sinning and you know it, you know why that happened. Which I know why this has happened. You know, I know. Blessings were flowing, you were obeying God, walking in the right direction, doing what God wants and all of a sudden everything starts going wrong. Quit telling people, because I'm a Christian. You lose your job and so I get a call and you say, preach, I lost my job, I don't know what to do. So I call your employer. He says he lost his job because he's a Christian preacher. That's not true. Never showed up on time. Wouldn't do their work. You had to fuss with them all the time. You didn't get fired because you're a Christian. You got fired because you're lazy and disobedient. It has nothing to do with the cause of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 5. Have you forgotten? Christian, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? God said, I'm talking to you as, as my children. Watch. My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. When God straightens you out, that's no time to say, I'm quitting. I can't take this. That's not fair. I don't like that. God said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He's not chasing you because he hates you. Sometimes parents do that, but not God. God said, no, no, I'm not that way. And scourgeth every son that cometh that he receiveth. If you endure chastening, now if you'll just take it, if you, if you just give into it, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, here's a good way to find out whether you're really saved or not. You're sinning and everything's still going right on like nothing's wrong. You're a bastard. You don't belong to God. You're somebody else. Somebody else is your father, but ain't God. God said, I chastise every child that comes, every son that comes unto me. Watch what he says. Verse number nine. Furthermore, we have had fathers, we have, we had of our own flesh, earthly fathers, which corrected, and we gave them reverence. We obeyed them. Why? We had to. We wanted to. Whatever the case was, we did it. Earthly fathers. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they verily are earthly fathers. For a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And they did. Come on, Dad. You know that's the truth sometimes. We just get a little fed up. There you are ready for church. They puke all over you. Spank the daylights out of you. What in the world's wrong with you? Can't keep that food down. I ain't feeding you no more. That'd be my answer. Now, watch what he says. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, talking about God, for our profit. God's not doing this to take things from you. You're doing that on your own. God said, no, I want to profit you. I, I want to bless you. I want to benefit you that they might be partakers of his holiness. Now, hold on, hold on. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. I'll bet Jonah wasn't going to get, oh, praise the Lord. God turned me around. No, he's still upset after all this was done. He didn't like it at all. But the whole city got saved. He couldn't see that because it wasn't right with God even after he went and did what God sent him. So we find out here the reason for affliction, a lot of reasons. Why does God do this? Number one, we're his children. He said, I'm going to, if you're my child, this is what I do. Number two, for our profit, for our benefit. Isn't that a good father? I'm going to do that. You know why we have so many people, uh-uh, why? I don't have to. Because their parents did not instruct and train properly. 
you have a father in heaven that says, you and me, you represent me, the world's going to look at you and say, so that's the way God acts. God said, no, no, we're not doing that. You're not going to behave like them and claim me as your father. I'll be your father, but you ain't doing that. That's a good dad. That's a good father here. So we find out here to bring you back to the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God said, I have a plan. You're heading this direction. You're acting like the ungodly. You're acting like sinful people. You're acting like the devil's kids. What are you doing? You let me chastise you, and then you let it have its way. It will bring back into your life the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You're losing your righteousness. That which represents God, you're losing it. Let God have his way. By the way, Jonah finally came to the altar. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, it happened to be in the belly of the well, but he did it. Oh, yes, he did. He cried out to God. He cried out to God in the, in the well. Number two, he confessed. He told the Lord, I'll go back. I'll do what you want me to do. He repented and obeyed the Lord that God had told him. By the way, God stopped the affliction. You want to know how to find relief to your life? Start obeying the Lord. Quit fussing against it. Quit lying. Quit making excuses on why. Well, I just believe this is right. No, you don't. You're fussing about it. You're fussing against God. So Jonah was never used from God again. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know why. Jonah's spirit was bad from that point on. We never see where he got right thoroughly with God other than to go back and do what he told him to do. From that point on, God even asked him, he had a right to be mad. Yes, even unto death. And the story kind of closes right there. What a shame. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. It's not that God can't. You won't let him. Can two walk together lest they be agreed? God doesn't have to agree with you. You have to agree with him. And when you walk together and you agree with God, now God can do what a father always wants to do. Bless his children. And so... We go to Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 1. He that being often reproved, you know what proved is? Straightened out to the face. Look at me right now. Straightened out to the face. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. We used to call that stiff neck. I can't make my dude stiff neck. Often you've been reproved. I don't care what he says. I'm not care. I don't care. I don't look at it that way, and I'm not going to do that. Watch. Shall suddenly be destroyed. Now, that could be you. Or, Proverbs 27, 13. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy. Is that going to be you? Or are you just going to keep going till you're suddenly destroyed? You're called. God does chasten his children. The intended purpose for that, I just told you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you.